good morning, everyone. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that there are classes going on in this building today and that the Word of God is being taught. We thank you that there are people that are communicating faithfully the truth. And we just pray that those that are students would be eager to hear and that they would understand the truth and they'd want to apply it to their life and it would, uh, it would be something that would be a transformational process. As we study, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the Spirit of God who is our teacher. And as we go into our time, we ask indeed, Spirit, that you would teach us and give us clarity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and we want to continue um, wandering through that chapter and into chapter 3 this morning. <clears throat> we find ourselves in verse number 10. Is where we stopped last week. And it says, well, well, we'll do the 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So we want to talk about verse 10 for just a little while this morning before we move on through this chapter. And the question, well, first let's deal with the beginning of it. We talked last week about this. We're his workmanship. That's a unique thing that we have been created in a unique way, that we have been made these people who we are. We're his workmanship. He has crafted us. We are his masterpiece, if you will. Okay, He has done this for us. We have been created in Christ Jesus. And then that phrase, for good works. So the question that we want to talk about, the question, and then we want to talk about it is, what exactly are good works? If we've been created for good works in Christ Jesus, we should know what they are. And not only have we been created for these good works, but it says that God prepared those things beforehand that we would walk in them. Apparently, one of the main aspects of our life as believers is that we would be about good works. Therefore, we have to know, what are they? What are good works? Okay, what we do, somebody said. The one another's, somebody said. Spreading the good news. Anything to glorify God. Nobody has anything to say after that. You know that, right? Because you were such a broad statement. They're done now. He does give each of us a gift. And so it's a gift that we've been given. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So take the answers that we're given. Those are really good answers. Take those answers then and tell me where I find those things. We'll just deal with willies in effect. That anything to glorify God, we can just deal with that one if we'd like. Where do I figure that out then? I obey God's word. That's the answer. A good work, in effect, is obedience. It is a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. For instance, uh, write a note to somebody because the Holy Spirit has prompted you to do that, for instance. Very good. Absolutely. So there is an aspect of obedience and there is an aspect of listening to what God has to say. Those are good works. Uh, Willie was right in the fact that he summarized it. He hit it well. Uh, it, it's anything that glorifies God. 
it is that you are doing what you are doing in your life to glorify God, that is a good work, okay? It is doing what you do on this earth to glorify God and to reflect His presence in your life and, and to let people know that God matters to you, which is glorifying God, okay? That's exactly what it is. And, and that comes from reading the Word of God and, 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 and understanding that there are commands, and then that happens from listening to what the Spirit of God has to say to you on a regular basis as you're living your life, and He prompts you to do these things. That's exactly what it is, all right? Those are good works. Those are what we're supposed to do. The point of good works is, and we got to go back to Willie's answer, the point of good works is glorify God. The reason why we do what we do is to glorify God. Now, we want to make sure that as Christians we get this down, and you guys have this down already, but we'll reiterate it just because. In Christianity, in biblical Christianity, good works are the result of, not the avenue whereby something happens. Okay? Good works are the result of what? Salvation. What? God's will. They're the result of my salvation. Because you are saved, because you now have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you are in the business of doing good works, what the Bible says, and we're going to look at some verses. You're in the business of going about doing good works for God. Okay? Non-biblical belief systems says that you do good deeds, good works, so that you might earn salvation. So that the scales will tip. Okay? Now, obviously, that's a bad thing. But as Christians, we need to be very careful. Sometimes we as Christians throw out the baby with the bath, right? And this is one of those areas where we've been afraid sometimes to talk about good works because we would never want somebody to think that we're doing good works in order to earn our salvation. Okay? Well, you don't want anybody to think that, but you can't throw out good works. You can't throw out the term good works. You can't throw out the idea of good works because this verse says that we are his workmanship and we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why we've been created. What? It's why we've been created. It's what we need to do. Let's look at some verses. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 5, um, another, what's another word in the Bible that could be replaced for good works? Anybody have one? Fruit. Very good. Fruit of the Spirit. I wanted fruit. Very good. Fruit. There's other portions of the Bible that says produce fruit, right? And when you are producing fruit, you are doing what it is that you've been called to do. That's exactly what it is, okay? And as Karen went into, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, the, it's, it's what God has done. He has said, here you go. This is what should come out of you, okay? That's what needs to happen. It is the fruit. It is fruit. It is good works. That's what, what is supposed to happen in our life. So the Bible has a lot of stuff about this. You need to understand that. This isn't, a, this isn't an isolated idea. It's all through the New Testament especially. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. It says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Who's glorifying the Father who is in heaven in this verse? The people who see the good works. That's exactly right. Your life is supposed to be all about doing things so that other people will look at you and say what? Look what God has done. That's exactly what we want them to say. Look what God has done. That's it. Look what God has done. Look. Look. Isn't that something? And you can do that. Your light can do that. Absolutely. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And as you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I just, I need to ask, Daryl, did you guys bump your head today? What? Are you? Well, there may be a memo that goes out that says, stop that. <laughs> yeah, they're all over the place. But I'm used to them being all over the place. <laughs> yeah, all right. I'm really used to that. So now you, know what, now you know what teachers think about when they teach. Why are they over there? What? Okay. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 8. And it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. This is an interesting verse because let's walk our way through it here and let's make sure we understand it. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Now, is there a shortage there in that phrase? No. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency, having the ability to do this on a regular basis in everything that is going on in your life, you may have a what? An abundance. And you might have an abundance for what? Every good deed. So, not only is the Bible telling us that we're supposed to do this, we've been created for this, but God is giving you grace so that you will have the sufficiency that you need in everything so that you will have an abundance of good deeds. Good deeds should just flow out of us as believers, right? That's what this verse says. And it's because we are believers that this happens. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We understand that concept. We understand that truth. We get what he's saying here. To please him in all respects. We ought to do that everywhere. And that we ought to be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's, there's a whole bunch of things that go together here that if, and as we're increasing in the knowledge of God, we're going to bear fruit in every good work. As we bear fruit in every good work, we're going to increase in our knowledge of God. We ought to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We ought to please Him constantly. And in doing that, we will be then bearing fruit in every good work. It's just going to flow from us. Okay? That's what needs to happen on a regular basis is that, is that that kind of thing should happen, is that we should do that. That's who we should be, okay, without question.
I agree. Daryl said it's some of the stuff invisible. For instance, in this particular passage, it says here to fully please him in every respect. That's going to be invisible. If you're fully pleasing him, part of, your, part, of the, part of the pleasing is your attitude, your approach, your mentality, who you are, your thought process, so on and so forth. And that's then going to put you in a place where you're ready to do these good deeds. Absolutely. So it is not, it is not and again, the thing that's important is that all of this is flowing out of who we are. Okay? We do because we are. Right? And, and that's going to flow because of that. And that's going to be a really good thing. So I think that that is a, a fair statement and a fair point to think about and look at like that. All right? Let's go to uh, Colossians 1. Oops, we're in Colossians 1. 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. I was just thinking that... Um, <laughs> Because, you know, your mind can think of all sorts of things while you're teaching. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but <laughs> I have a couple more weeks with you. I'm just going to spill my secrets. So, uh, you know, for years, for years, I, I sat here, and, uh, and Cynthia would always sit over here, and then the girls, we never had the girls much when we were here, just a couple years, but I would sit here, and she would sit there. I was thinking about um, uh, Julie's idea of following the list because wouldn't it have been cool once the girls left home if Cynthia would have sat somewhere different every week and I would have walked up to the pulpit and looked around and thought, where's my wife? Where is she at today? <laughs> that would have been like a fun game, right? All right. <clears throat> so clearly I'm drifting just a little bit today. You might edit all of this if you want. <laughs> no, let it go. First <laughs> Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. Instruct them to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Instruct people to do good. And it's, it's, isn't it great, some of, the, some of the words that the Bible uses, how it describes things? Be rich in good works. Do them. Make that who you are. You are marked because you're rich in good works. And, and it says, instruct them to do this. This is part of Christianity. We need to think this through. We need to understand that I, I am not going to just stumble into good works. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to do it. <clears throat> I'm going to consciously do this because that's who I am. Okay? And that needs to mark me. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And you know these verses. This from <clears throat> the end of it, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So the reason why it's so important that I am in this Bible, which is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness, so that I will be adequate, I will be equipped, I will be prepared, I will be mature, I will be then equipped for every good work. I'm not going to be equipped for good works if I'm not allowing the Word and the Spirit of God to minister to me in the right way. Okay? I have to make sure that that's going on or it's not going to happen. Okay? Yes? Yes?
It does make total sense. And Yep. And, and that, that we need to make sure that we are wise in this, that we, we, although we don't want to throw the baby out with the bath, we also don't want to go too far the other way. We want to always make sure we understand what we're doing and why we're doing this. It is for God. It is, a, it is a way of us saying, thank you, God, for doing for me what you've done for me. It is a way of me representing God on this earth. Because people always say, what is the point and the purpose of my life? Well, the point and the purpose of your life is to glorify God. Well, how do I do that? You do that by doing good works. So we need to sometimes remind ourselves and walk ourselves through that process of this is the order and this is why this matters and to not to get hung up in that that would be backwards. I think that that is a fair point that, that we need to do that if I'm understanding right what you're saying, right? And so I think we do need to approach it that way. You've got to remind yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I living today? Why am I serving today? Why am I doing this today? It's because I want to glorify God. Absolutely. And, yeah. But for a Christian, when I was sick and I was listening to um, teaching in the church service, they said that one of the things he said was that the book of James contradicts the rest of the Bible because it stresses works. But you can have good deeds without salvation. Absolutely, you can. Good deeds saved, without salvation. Absolutely. If you're saved, what James is saying is that you will have good deeds. You, yeah. It's going to flow from you. Yep. Good deeds will happen. We just need to make sure we understand that that's who we are. That's who we are. And to do good deeds, I have to think outside of myself. I have to, I have to think outward. And that's a problem. There were a couple other hands. Yeah. Absolutely, because we're doing it for God. Absolutely, because our whole mindset in life should be about Him. That's exactly that's what's supposed to separate us and make us different from the average person out there in the world. Is that that's how we live our lives? Is understanding that the mundane things of life are about God as much as the flashy things of life. Because I've been created for good works by Christ Jesus. I'm His workmanship. Let's show God off. And so that's what we do. All right, and that's how we need to look at life. All right. Go to Titus chapter. 2 verse 14. <clears throat> Titus 2 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deeds and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That we would be zealous that we would understand that because we have been redeemed by him, because we've been saved from all these lawless deeds, because we have been purified for him, because we belong to him, I now need to be zealous about good deeds. I can't be casual about it. I can't just stumble into him once in a while. I need to be zealous about doing things for God on a regular basis. And it could be laundry. It could be whatever. But I'm zealous about it. I'm, I'm doing it with all of my energy because I am honoring God in my life. Good deeds for him, all right? And then let's go to Hebrew, or chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14 of Titus. 
Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Okay? We need to make sure that we do that. We need to make sure that we are doing good deeds. We are, we are meeting pressing needs. We are ministering to people. We are um, putting ourselves out there for other folks that we are being fruitful people for Jesus Christ. Okay? That I'm just not going along and living my life just for myself and, and my selfish means and my selfish approach, that's an unfruitful life. I am living my life for God, and God says, I have surrounded you with a whole bunch of people, both saved and unsaved. Pour into them, minister to them, be a part of them, and in doing that, you'll be living fruitful lives, and you'll be doing good deeds. Okay? Yes? Uh, it's in the Gospels when the Lord says they've received their reward because people have patted them on the back or given them that. Is, what, is that what you're referring to? Where, where the Lord was saying that, that, that they've gotten all the reward they're going to get because they did it for men. And, and so everybody said, yeah, look at you. And instead of you saying, I want to do it for God and I'm concerned about him, they were more concerned about making sure that the people around them were heaping praise on them rather than doing it for the Lord. And so the Lord condemned that. Don't be doing your good deeds. Don't be doing what you're doing out so that people around you can say, oh my, look at that person. Instead, do it for God. It's that idea of, of living for an audience of one. Yep. Incredibly fine line. I agree. A very fine line. And that's a hard thing sometimes. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Motivation matters a lot with that. My heart, that's exactly right. And my heart matters with all of it, right? I mean, it, I mean, it really does. I, we've all been there. We've all, we've all done those things. We've all, we've all done good deeds. I believe all of us have done good deeds in, in two ways. The, the, the one way is we've done a good deed, and we've wanted to make sure that people see the good deed, and they know about the good deed, so that people will say, well, that's a really good person way to go. Okay? That's really not the way we're supposed to do a good deed. We're supposed to do a good deed for God. I want to glorify God. I'm going to do this. I, it doesn't matter if anybody else sees it. It doesn't matter if I get any acclaim for it. I just want to do this for God because I believe that God is having me do it. The second way that we good do, do good deeds um, is, that, is that we are convicted that we ought to do something, and we grumble and gripe and complain all the way. That's not good either. So we have to make sure that we're doing this in the right way, and that begins with our heart, with our attitude. And that's why it's so important that we are growing in the knowledge of God and that we are allowing the Word of God, to, uh, which is profitable, to teach us and correct us and rebuke us and train us so that we're doing it in the right way so that those things are coming out the way they should be coming out. Okay? So this is a process. This is a maturity thing as much as anything else. It really is. And, and we need to get better at this all the time. And it is our attitude. It's our heart. Pardon? And he does deal with this when that's the case. We're greatly convicted by that sometimes. Absolutely. Okay. Go to Hebrew. Yes. Yes, we are the product of our upbringing. 
many times I agree. You need to understand, absolutely. And, and what Carolyn was saying is that, is that many of us are, you know, we're brought up in such a way that it's take care of number one and, and do for you first and, and, and all of that. And, uh huh? That's our job, right. And, and don't worry about other people. You need to understand that if we're going to practice biblical Christianity, we are going to have to reject many things that our culture tells us in this very area. Okay? That this very area is telling us on a regular basis take care of yourself. Put yourself first. Do for you. You're the most important. You're the one. And biblical Christianity says, consider other people before yourself. So you need to understand that in practicing biblical Christianity, it's not just our upbringing that we're having to say no to. It is the culture and what the culture is teaching us on a regular basis that we have to say no to. Okay? And that's what makes biblical Christianity different. And, and I'll be honest with you, what makes the biblical churches around the world so weak is that we're not doing that very often. We're embracing the world and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice my Christianity in a cultural way. Folks, if you're trying to do that, you're not practicing biblical Christianity. And, and we need to come to grips with that. Okay? Every ad you read or you see is unbiblical when it boils right down to it. It's, it's, it's all about you and making you better and embracing you and and you'll be if you eat this brand of potato chips you're better off than the guy who doesn't okay that's what advertisement is about in our society understand that and that is thrown at you constantly you have to constantly be aware of that and so we need to make sure that the bible is such a part of us that i am living my way in a way that i am rejecting those messages and realize that those chips aren't going to change me it's okay, all right? And I can do my thing with other people, okay? And we have to approach life this way. Otherwise, we're not being who we need to be. I don't know what you mean. Oh, oh yes, right, yeah. Oh, change who is number one, right. Yeah, yeah, right, change who is number one. Exactly right, it's not me anymore. It is Christ, it's exactly right. And I'm all about living for him. That's what the Bible says over and over again. Agreed. Okay. So this, so these good deeds, are, this is an important thing. And this is what we were created for, right? This, this makes us different. This makes us unique. Okay. And changing who number one is, okay, it means that I'm changing my priorities of my time. I'm changing the priorities of my money. I'm changing the priorities of my entertainment. I'm changing the priorities of my recreation. I'm thinking biblically now, not just as a person that lives in this society, and I'm just embracing what just comes along. We need to be very, very careful about that. Yes?
Agreed. Agreed. I agree. This is a real battle. This is, a, this is about living our lives spiritually. And that's a tough thing. We're pretty physical people. But you're right on their first statement. It's the motive for God. It's that I know that I'm doing this, and God is having me do this, and I'm doing it for him. And that's the issue. Absolutely. Okay? Now, we don't want to offend people on purpose. I mean, we want to be sensitive toward that in our... We do on occasion, but we do want to be sensitive toward that. And if I can avoid offending people, I do. But sometimes in doing what God wants me to do, that's the way it works. All right? Yes? It can... But I don't know if you had to over-evaluate. I think it's a pretty easy thing. God, am I doing this for you? Am I doing this for me? Move on. So over-evaluating, I guess, yeah. Let's not spend much time on that because then we're just kind of playing games. Yes? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's going to do that. That's exactly right. Let's move on. Let's go to the next verse, and it's Hebrews 10.24, and then we'll go back to Ephesians. Hebrews 10.24. It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The Bible calls us, that talks about in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That part of the thing about being in a body is to encourage other people toward being more loving and more involved in good deeds. That's what we do in the body of Christ. Okay, that's a good thing. We encourage each other toward that end. You're, you, you're, not all this, you're not in this all by yourself. God's put you in a body, and part of the body's responsibility is to encourage you and spur you on to good deeds. And sometimes you're spurred on because you see somebody else doing it. Sometimes you're spurred on because you hear what's going on. Sometimes you're spurred on because you're with a group of people, and the Holy Spirit uses that to convict you and to grow you. Okay? But part of your task is to encourage other people on a regular basis to, toward love and good deeds. And sometimes all somebody needs to continue to do that is, way to go. Good for you. You're doing the right thing. That's, that's what you need. Encourage other people, all right? Is this. Yeah, very good. It's true. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Good deeds are an important thing. I think you understand that. Hopefully that spurs you on a little bit, this conversation, and, and it'll, it'll help you ponder some of this a little bit. So uh, we want to we move on here a little bit and cover a little bit more of Ephesians chapter 2. It says in verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at the time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the word. 
or in the world, excuse me. So he's talking about the fact, remember, it's good to remember that you were once dead and now that you are alive, you were once lost and now that you were saved. He's specifically talking about Gentiles because at the end of this chapter, he's going to talk about Jews and Gentiles coming together. Chapter 3, he's going to talk about Jews and Gentiles coming together into the church. So he says, hey, I especially want you Gentiles to remember who you were, where you came from, and what you have now you've been brought into the covenant you are dead you're now alive you were lost you are now saved and as we talked last week as i remember that as i reflect upon that as i am conscious about the fact of who i once was what's that going to do for me today what's the answer i'm going to be thankful i'm going to live for christ maybe even do Uh, I might do good deeds. (laughs) Yeah, I might because, thank you, God. I want to give you my thanks by doing good deeds. Exactly right. Because look what you've done for me. It's a good thing to remember every now and again. Not waller in it. Not use it in in a glorified way. But I was lost. Now I'm saved. Okay? You know, and, and that's all, that's, that's what we need to remember. You know, when I use the phrase, uh, when I say I was a hoodlum when I was a teenager before I was saved, that's all, that's the only ex- explanation you need. You can fill in the blanks all by yourself, okay? And it probably works. I was a hoodlum. Now I'm saved. Look what God did. How about that? Isn't that a wonderful thing? There's a time and a place to go into details, but it's not nearly as often as we think it is, okay? But remember every once in a while, look what God has done. Verse, uh, Go on to verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And, and, and again, it's talking about the Gentiles versus the Jews. Gentiles were far off. They didn't have anything. The Jews, the Jews weren't necessarily saved. Not all of them were saved. But they were close to God through the ordinances and through the commands and through all of the stuff that they had. It didn't mean they were saved. But the, the difference then between the Jews and the Gentiles is the Gentiles were way apart from there and they were not a part of that religious experience in any way, shape, or form. They were worshiping idols maybe. They were doing their own thing. And he says, remember that you were far off and now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a great, great thing to remember is that there was a time in your life that you were far away from God. But because of the blood of Christ, you've been brought near and he walks with you and you are right by him right now. You are with him right now, okay, by the blood of Christ. What a great thing to remember, that that's what he has done for you. And in the midst of life and in the midst of the struggles of life, this is a good verse to remember. I used to be far away from God. I'm not anymore. That's a good thing. Maybe I should talk to God for a while. Maybe I should rest in God for a while. Maybe I should celebrate God for a while. I used to be far away from God. I'm not anymore. I'm close to God. Cherish that and hold on to that. That is just a great thing. Um, to, to, to love. He goes on in the next couple of verses and he continues this idea of Jew and Gentile. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross having put to death the enmity. Now, this verse is not a verse that is talking all about um, uh, reconciliation within people, groups, and, and, and what people would say is, is reconciliation among the, the races. What this verse is talking about is that people are apart from Christ, then they get saved, and once they're saved, 
those barriers that were a part of their life before then are broken down and do not matter any longer. Okay? This passage has been twisted in many things that are going on in our world right now. And the idea of this passage is you are saved, you are brought into the church, and in the church we're all one in Christ. Okay? We're all one in Christ. But this is not a passage that says Christianity is all about abolishing and fixing the woes of our society. Okay? Christianity can fix the woes of our society, but there's a right order to do it in. It's about salvation, and the church then breaks down those barriers and becomes uniquely one and ministers for Jesus Christ and, and shouts out, we're different. And we just need to be honest and recognize that the church in the United States of America is not very good at that. We're just not. It's unfortunate. We should be better at it, but we're not. And that's one example where, where Christianity is not rising above society, where we're not saying, you know what, those things don't matter in Christ. They're not issues, okay? And, and this is the battle around the world. This, this is a battle that is going on around the world because people are constantly having to break down barriers of that person was my enemy or that person was so different from me I didn't want to associate with them, but now they're in Christ and I need to come to grips with that. That's, that's always been the case and that always will be the case, okay? The first thing above all things for believers is that we're believers, First and foremost, we're believers. And we're joined together because of that, okay? And, and let me share with you that that's one, of the, that's one of the things that I believe, I think that's one of the reasons why the Lord said, continue to celebrate the Lord's Supper until I return. I think that the Lord's Supper is one of those powerful things that breaks down barriers and that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper with anybody, no matter who they are, no matter how we have felt, we're believers. We can celebrate the Lord's Supper. That, that, that it, it's a uniqueness. It's special, okay? Anyway, that's what that's talking about, that in Christ, things are different. That's what he wants us to understand and believe, okay? And we need to understand that. In Christ, barriers are gone. In Christ is what matters. And the church then is going to shine, and it's going to make a difference. Honestly, the way that the church, when they did it right in in biblical times, man, they would have turned the world upside down, wouldn't they? Turned the world upside down. And I, I'm positive I told you this story about Nepal. I'm, I'm, I'm positive, but I'm going to say it real quick. That, that um, in, the, in, in the community where Ben and Kim live, um, the, the main community there is that there was a church that was established in Jumla long ago, and then that church split. Okay? And this is just a handful of years ago. So the church split. And the reason why the church split is because the church was started by a group of low-caste Nepalis, and then high caste Nepalis got saved, but the leadership was already established, and the high caste Nepalis were not going to sit under the authority of the low caste Nepalis, and so they went and started their own church. So, what Paul's talking about in Ephesians is still going on around the world. And we could apply that in our own life today in our society with all sorts of different things, couldn't we? And the Bible says we ought not to be doing that. Okay? It's a hard thing, but the Bible says we should be different than that. Okay? Next couple of verses then. Um, verse 19. Well, he's 17 and 18. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access 
um, in one spirit to the Father. Just talking about the fact that you were far away and now you're close. It's God. 19 through 22. So then, because of all the things he's been talking about, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of God's household. So he says, you're no longer a stranger and an alien. And, and this is interesting because the Bible uses the terms that you are a stranger and an alien in this world. So here's the interesting thing, that, that it seems like you're always a stranger and an alien. Either you're a stranger and an alien to God and the people of God, or you're saved and, you're, and you belong to God, and then you're a stranger and an alien to this world. Okay? So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You belong. You, you get, I, you know, only a handful of people in this room are going to be able to relate to this because you had to get saved, not necessarily even as a teenager, but even a little bit later in life where you would, you would wonder what in the world was going on in those churches. And then you get saved and you come and, and you're in a church service and you think, this is pretty cool, I get it. Okay? And the reason for that is because now you're fellow citizens with them. <laughs> You understand. You, you, you get it. it. It makes sense to you. And you like it. And you want to belong. And you want to be a part of it. Okay? It's a glorious and wonderful thing. And so you, you're fellow citizens with the saints. And you're part of God's household. And you think, this is a cool place. I like it now. I kind of thought they were a little strange. But now I like it. Because I've been changed. Okay? Having been built, the church then, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. He talks about the uniqueness of the church in this passage, that the church is being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, what you learn from them, what he taught them, what they taught you, the apostles and the prophets, and we get our stuff from them still today, obviously, and, and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, is that the foundation is upon what they're teaching, but the cornerstone, the reason why the building works is because it's Jesus Christ. It's straight, and it's strong, and it's the way it needs to be because of Jesus Christ. And this building that he's talking about, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, that it's a holy temple in the Lord, just like these folks that maybe are reading this who are Jewish people understood the concept of the temple and how holy the temple was and how unique it was. Now Paul is saying, you all who are now in Christ, you are the holy temple in the Lord, and you're being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I mean, that's an amazing thing. That, we read a verse like this, and we think, I've heard that so many times, it's ridiculous. I understand that, 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 that God lives inside of us, and, and it's kind of an odd concept still, but I accept it, I move on. Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I get that. I understand that. you got to understand what this would have been like when it was first uttered for a generation upon generations upon generations of people who revered the temple and the Holy of Holies, because that's where God was. And I had to go there in order to know God. And I had to go there in order to understand who God was. And I had to go there in order to worship God properly. And now you're telling me that he lives inside of me? What a remarkable concept. And it's such a remarkable concept that that's the thing that changes us. That's the thing that transforms us, isn't it? And yet, honestly, think about your life. If we really had that thought, if that overwhelming thought was driving us constantly, God lives inside of me. Holy Spirit's inside of me right now. 
right now. It's not that I can walk into a door and shut the shut it or walk into a room and shut the door and 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 shut God out. No, he's inside of me. Isn't that an amazing thought? I mean, if we really embrace that thought, it's a little overwhelming, isn't it? Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Yeah, he's in Christians. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. It's remarkable. And 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 what should that do and what should that mean and wow. That's just something. And this is the truth that was, that was absolutely turning the world upside down. Absolutely turning the world upside down in this day and age. Okay? Christ in you. This great mystery. Christ in you. And that is still an amazing, wonderful thing. Okay? What separates you from everybody else, from the people you rub shoulders with, people you're around constantly? Well, if they don't know Jesus Christ, their Savior, it's because Christ is in you. Okay, that's what separates you. And so we should, we should bear fruit befitting of that, right? And that should be something. In chapter 3, just he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. <clears throat> and then he thinks, ooh, I need to talk about that for a while. And so he does. Verses 2 through 13 are, in effect, a parenthetical thought in chapter 3. He is beginning to pray for them that he picks up in verse 14. But what he says is, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he talks about that a little while. He says, and I'm talking about you, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to you for me, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief in these previous verses we just read about. Right, referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made to the, known to the sons of God, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the gospels the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring a, to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for the ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of, of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf for there for your glory. So I want to pray for you now. It's a really remarkable passage of Scripture. And we don't have time to go into it, obviously. It's about time to end. A couple things I want to point out. <clears throat> he talks about this great mystery of Christ in you because this was a mystery all the time. This was something that they were hearing about. It was going to be a mystery about the fact that, that Christ in me is an overwhelming thing. And, and, and so he talked about this, and he talked about the fact that I've been made a minister, and I have been given this privilege of telling people about this. And in fact, in verse 8, to me, the very least of the saints, because he recognized who he was, and he always felt inadequate to be this person. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. I mean, they're so amazing that we can't even comprehend them. And I want to tell you about them, okay? And then he says, to bring about this, this, this administration, <clears throat> in verse 10, so the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. <laughs> Did you catch that? So that the manifold wisdom of God. Now, what, what's he saying? Well, verse 9. That 
everybody who is saved now, and, and, and I'm talking about how Christ cannot be understood, and to bring light to what is the administration of the mystery which for the ages has been hidden in God who created all things. This mystery, Jews and Gentiles both being saved, Christ in you, this mystery, that this mystery, this wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. We are demonstrating constantly God's great wisdom when we function like we're supposed to function as the church. And when we function like we're supposed to function as the church, not only are the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places seeing it, but the people on this earth are seeing it. And they are saying, my, but isn't God something? My, isn't God something? Okay? So, real quick, and then we got to be done. So it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't do the reputation of Christ much good. It doesn't do the kingdom of God much good. If I wave to my neighbors this morning as I pull out of the driveway on my way to church, and then I come home from church this afternoon and I throw a hissy fit in the backyard because something goes wrong. I need to come to grips with the fact that because I'm in Christ, things are different. That's, that's our call. It's a tall order, but that's our call. Because God says, I want, I want my wisdom to be seen in the church. Well, what does he mean when he says the church? Well, not this building. He means people who are part of his body. That people would see Christ. Let's go do that. Father, we thank you for our time and for this truth and this passage and this great book. Father, I just pray that you would grow us when it comes to doing good works and good deeds to be those kinds of people. We'd understand the depths of, and the importance of that. And we'd understand the depths of, of the fact that you have said that you want to reveal your wisdom in the church, which is us. And that the glory of Christ is manifested in us for the world and for the rulers. Transform us. That we would read this passage and say, yeah, that's, that's going on. I see that. God is accomplishing great things. For your glory, we pray this and say amen.